Chapter 22 Finn ran out of her cabin and jerked to a stop. In the dim glimmer light of dawn, she felt immediately that the sea was too near. At first she thought it was a trick of the light, but it wasn't. The justice was riding perilously low in the water. The sea was patiently rising to consume them. Like a great behemoth, it stretched its maw wide beneath the ship and awaited the fall of its prey. A flash from the north caught her eye, and seconds later the report of distant cannons broke the morning. Behind her she heard a ball splash into the sea. The British were in range. The light didn't permit a good shot yet, but it was only a matter of time. Finn frowned to herself and felt a pang of guilt that she'd slept so long while others worked through the night bailing water to keep them afloat. She rushed toward the chain of men, where despite the encroaching water and cannon fire, the crew still sang and passed buckets in time. If the sound was merry, however, the faces of those singing were less so. They turned and greeted her with mock cheer and the resolution of men marching toward their own deaths. She shouldn't have slept so long. From down the hatch, raised voices floated up to her. Angry, fearful, she lit down into the hold and picked Tan's voice out of the clamor. Then Jack's. They were arguing amid many voices. Let him rot, Jack! shouted Tan. He was standing knee-deep in water at the top of the steps leading down into the bilge. From behind the locked door, from Armand de Fane's lair, came the snarls and yelps of those filthy and barely human creatures that had meant to have their way with her. Finn shuddered at the noise and clamor from behind the door and felt a shameful relief that those dregs were locked away behind it, but they would surely drown within the hour. Jack stood at the door, perplexed, arguing to free the prisoners locked within. Tan was firmly against it, and Armand de Fane stood to the side, observing the discourse with twisted amusement. A few days ago, he'd called those men his crew, but now he was utterly indifferent to their fate. Jack turned to de Fane. Can you keep these buggers under your thumb? he asked. Armand held up his hands, palms outward, and grinned. They have been kept long and much abused. They may act, uh, unpredictably. The notion seemed to amuse him, and he continued with a smile. They could be most ferocious if loosed upon the English. Jack pondered Armand for a moment, then turned to Tan, still undecided. They're black-hearted murderers, Jack, evil to the marrow. Leave them be. Don't do it, Jack. Don't let them out, said Finn. She fixed her eyes firmly on Armand. I don't trust him. Jack scratched his beard. All right, the door stays locked. For now. But I don't aim to let men drown no matter what they've done. Before that room fills to the top, the door opens and we'll deal with the devil that comes of it. He didn't wait for protest. He turned and climbed onto the deck. Finn and Tan exchanged a worried look. Then Tan, quick as a cat, grabbed Armand de Fane by the shirt and hoisted his small frame against the bulkhead. If your dogs get out, I expect you to tend them. If they touch one of my mates, you'll enter with blood. But of course. Armand nodded and smirked. Tan pushed him away and disappeared down the hall toward the gun deck. Armand's eyes followed Tan as he departed. Then he turned them on the half-submerged door and grinned at the voices thundering through it. The hairs on Finn's neck rose, and she turned away to chase after Jack. The sun was spilling fire into the sky, burning away the last remnants of safety that the darkness had provided. The British ships in chase were within half a mile. A white cloud erupted from the bow of the nearest ship and eclipsed all but the topmost sails. Seconds later, the rumble of cannons rasped across the justice. 
two balls splashed into the water, less than twenty paces off the starboard. It was only a matter of time before the British found their mark and battered the justice into the sea. Jack belched orders to any man not bailing water, and Topper stood at the helm, visibly exhausted. He'd been at the wheel since they'd fled, and he looked like he might collapse if he let go of it. There was no jest left in him. His spirit was consumed by wind and wave, tack and time. Finn ran to the end of the bailing line and relieved a bedraggled-looking man dressed in rags, a former prisoner of the justice. The buckets came steadily. She heaved the water overboard and hurried the bucket back up the line for more. Within minutes, her arms ached from the work, work that others had been at for hours. Again came the sharp crack and rumble of cannon fire, and a ball crashed into the deck, splintering a hole the size of a wine cask just after the mainmast. The song of the bailing line faltered. Shouts of fear and shock arose. Then Topper pointed across the bow and began to yell. Against the southwest sky rose the sails of two tall ships, heavily armed and apt to war. The men on deck saw them and began to wail. We'll be splintered and sunk, they cried. Another cannonball crashed into the deck, as if in punctuation. Now they were running from danger into despair. Their hope of reaching Savannah was gone, and all eyes turned to Jack with angry shouts and fearful pleas. Run up the white flag, cried some. Damn them to fire in the devil's mercy, cried others. And above the cries, Jack shouted, Beat arms! We'll not drink the brine before we're drunk on English blood! Men rushed below and found Tan on the gun deck, already passing out what weaponry he'd scrounged. He tossed Finn a cutlass and he was smiling his blood smile. The promise of battle was thick about him, and Tan breathed it like air. Finn had no reason to smile, but danger was afoot, and Tan was in his element. She tucked the cutlass into her belt and snatched a battered old pistol off the wall. She wondered momentarily where Nut had got off to, and plucked a second pistol off the wall to give to him when he turned up. Tan tossed her a powder horn and a pouch of musket ball before the men behind muscled her out the door, anxious to arm their own defense. Finn darted topside and joined Topper at the helm. He looked like the walking dead, like a withered and bloated corpse strapped to the wheel, defiant unto death. The sun had burned his face and chapped his lips. His eyes shone despair like cold moonlight, betraying none of the good nature she'd come to love. We'll be all right, Topper, she said, and smiled at him. He didn't seem to hear her. Jack's voice boomed across the deck. Get them cannons loaded, boys! Then he bent low to shout into the hatch. Tan, see to it! The ship rumbled as cannons were hauled into place. Topper, bring her round and keep her straight down their throats till I give the word. Don't give them any more target than we got to. Topper didn't move. Jack stepped in front of him and roared into his face. Topper, I will box your ears and smack you clean if you can't follow an order and answer an eye. Jack meant no ill will, but he had no choice. He had to lean hard. Topper was a master at the wheel, and Jack couldn't afford to lose him. He needed to push him. Topper blinked and clenched his jaw. Hi, Jack. I'm all right. Topper hauled the wheel over and the ship lurched to port. The justice came around and drove straight into the English cannon fire they had eluded all night. Tan emerged from below and reported the cannons ready to fire. One volley is all we got, Jack. Then we best make it a good one. Ahead of them, white smoke billowed from the bows of both English ships, and cannon shots splashed water onto the deck, near misses. The wind was from the northwest, 
and unable to tack for want of presenting a broadside target, they all but crawled through the water, sails flapping and slack. Then the ships ahead of them split their formation. One turned west, one east. They were forcing Jack to choose. Whichever he turned to follow, the justice would present her broadside to the other. Jack spat a curse and ordered Topper to keep dead bearing on the westernmost ship. Behind them, the two ships coming up from Savannah were still safely distant, but approaching quickly. Finn tried not to consider what would happen when they also came within firing range. Tan, get over here, called Jack. Unload the cannons on the port gunnel. I want two full volley off the starboard. Tan nodded and hurried to make it so. Every man not on a cannon, get your boots on deck and make ready to grapple and board. Men lined the rails, loaded their muskets, and brought out hooks and line. What are you going to do, Jack? asked Finn. Jack didn't answer. He looked as if he were debating whether or not he should reply. After a few tense moments, he looked at her and spoke in a hushed voice. Make sure you hold on tight and stay clear of the bow. Finn had no idea what to make of that information and the look on her face told Jack as much. Get to the rail, Button. He would say no more. Finn hurried away and found Nut at the stern, peering intently at the ships bearing up from Savannah. She held the extra pistol out in front of him. Here, take this. Nut lifted his arm and pointed at the ships. I know, Nut. Now take the pistol. He didn't seem to hear her. He simply stared southward toward the warships as they approached. Cannon shots split the air and the ships shuddered. They'd been hit again. Finn flinched and swore under her breath. She didn't have time or patience for Nut's games. Suit yourself, she said, and rushed away to find a spot along the portside rail. The two ships in front of them were some four hundred yards apart. Topper steered straight toward the westernmost. Its masts bloomed with sail. Its bowsprit stabbed toward them, anxious and saber-sharp, and from her mizzen flapped a massive Union Jack, beating the wind like a drummer. The other ship was directly off their starboard. Her gunnels were opening up, her cannons running out. Tan! As soon as that volley is away, I want them cannons reloaded! Fast! bellowed Jack down into the hatch. The crew arrayed themselves along the rails of the ship. A few were still packing their muskets. Finn plucked her pistol from her belt and packed the barrel, then readied the pistol she'd taken for Nut as well. She had two shots, no more, then blades. Listen up! roared Jack over the wind. We got two load of cannon to throw at that bastard yonder. He pointed off the starboard toward the English warship that was now almost within a stone's throw. Then we ram this tub of rotten timber into the other. We leave the rest to the Lord above and the devil below. Around the deck, eyes widened, and the collective intake of breath seemed to outwhistle the wind. Be ready on your hooks. Be quick to board. Give hell with your guns and redden wet your knives, and we'll sing of it when I see you again on the fiddler's green. He paused and took a deep breath, filling his barrel chest with the cool air, so that when he spoke again, his voice exploded, horn-like and deep. We ready, boys! shouted Jack with a defiant howl. Sam Ketcher raised his cutlass into the air and cursed ruin upon the king and all his men, one after another. The men on deck took to shouting defiance and waving their weapons until the whole ship was a den of hatred raised. Then, the ship off the starboard rail loosed her broadside cannons. The world exploded in a fury of splinter and scream. 
Cannonballs punched through the gunnels and deck of the Justice with terrifying force, sending men and debris hurtling through the air, landing broken on deck or plunged into the dark Atlantic. In seconds, the Justice was riddled with the bloodied and dead. Now, Tan! cried Jack, and the guns of the Justice answered. Her starboard broadsides detonated, and the ship shuddered and groaned under the power of the report. Vast white clouds of gun smoke billowed from the iron throats of her cannons. The smell of powder woke in Finn's nostrils and stung her eyes. Jack shouted for the reload, and in moments, Tan called up the already. Fire! cried Jack without waiting for the air to clear, and the guns bellowed again. Through the smoke, they heard the impact of ball upon wood and knew their mark was struck. The men sent up a cheer, but in the midst of it came Topper's warning from the helm. Hold fast! Every head spun around, and for a splinter of time, all was silent and still. The ship in front of them was mere feet away, its deck crowded with red-coated British soldiers. An ocean swell heaved the prow of the Justice up, so that in that moment it seemed they towered over the British warship, descending like a thunderbird from airy heights, talons thrust forth, wreathed in the ancient red aura of war. For that singular second, the men aboard both vessels peered across the gulf at one another, rigid with fear and frozen by memories of home and of women loved and children born, and of all others they might never see again. And in response, they called out of the dark reaches of man's collective nightmare, that beast that stirs and quickens to violence, that savors the taste of the enemy's throat, the bloodthirst that blinds reason and makes of men a berserking force of rage with curled lips and bared animal teeth. Then, like a thunderclap, the ships smashed one upon the other, the aged and rotted timbers of the Justice crumpled against the gunnels of the warship like paper. The decks rolled and trembled and heaved, and the staccato popping of wood rattled the air as elemental forces of gravity and inertia and the hoary sea itself took hold of the Justice and twisted the ship apart. Finn ran headlong from stern to bow and leapt as the ships met, letting her momentum throw her into battle. She drew both pistols and spent their issue upon soldiers doomed below, then lit upon the deck with sword in hand. Her crewmates cried as one and let fly their hooks. They hurtled across the rail in a tide of swinging ropes, whitened knuckles, and thirsty blades. As the crew of the Justice fled her groaning hull and boarded the British vessel, they turned their hatred to the work of war. With rusty cutlasses, they drove into the British, painting strokes of crimson across the deck. The justice was failing quickly. The sea rushed into her, gurgling through the emptiness of her holds like a beast gorging on the blood of its prey. Jack steadied himself on the tilting deck, urging every man to escape the justice before it was too late. Defane! Open the bilge! roared Jack. Armand disappeared down a hatch, and a growl arose from the lower decks. Then Armand, grinning like murder, reappeared and from behind him, like a dark cloud, came his mongrels of the bilge, half-naked, filthy, and drunken on bloodlust. Armand pointed to the British vessel and commanded them with a word. Like wild animals, they howled and ran with lolling tongues, leaping from the wreck of the justice to assail the British with bare hands and teeth. Horror and disgust took what men they flung themselves upon, and they prayed easily. 
Armand looked on, laughing with wicked glee. Then, fetching daggers from his shirt, he darted in amongst them. Finn parried and dodged, agile and untouchable amongst the stiffly uniformed soldiers, and Tan was beside her, his grin as quick and sharp as his blade. Her long hours of fencing lessons came unbidden to her sword arm, and she carved her way through the enemy in a fury of steel. She glimpsed Armand across the deck, swirling among the British like a mist, his daggers flashing in a grim coalescence of death. Each bite of his daggers fed the villainous smile upon his face, but it was far different from Tan's smile. Tan's pleasure arose from challenge and action, Armand's from cruelty and death. Armand's eyes found her suddenly, and with horror, Finn realized she also was smiling. His eyes shone, and his smile deepened. Finn wrenched herself away from his stare and ground her teeth to quench the smile. A figure rose in front of her, dark and terrible, snarling like a beast, one of Armand's dogs. He twisted up a licentious grin and lunged at her. An arm seized him by the throat, snatching him from midair and pinned him to the deck. Daggers opened his throat. Armand looked up from his work and winked at her, before spinning away and hurling himself back amongst the British. Behind her, the last groans of the justice followed the ruined ship as it slipped beneath the waves. Jack and Topper were the last to come aboard, and they stood back to back, Topper swinging his cutlass in wild, bloody arcs, Jack hammering blows upon men with fists like stone. The British warship didn't appear to have suffered at all in the collision. Its stalwart timber was more than a match for the rotten hull of the justice. And with dismay, Finn saw across the water that the other British vessel, the one they'd fired upon, had also suffered little damage. It was bearing straight for them. In minutes, it would be alongside and her complement of soldiers would join the fight. Finn recalled Nut pointing ominously at the two ships approaching from the south. She jerked her gaze around and beheld their last despair. Those ships also were only moments away. No matter what the outcome of the battle on deck, they would never survive whatever fate the remaining three ships offered. Finn clenched her jaw and launched herself at the nearest soldier with renewed fury. She spewed curses as she fought, cursing Creech for his cruelty and greed, cursing herself for being helpless to prevent his violation of her home. She slew two men, and three appeared to take their place. She saw red-coated soldiers streaming out of every hatchway like blood from an open wound. Finn and her company of desperate sailors couldn't hold the deck for more than a few more breaths. They were too few. They gathered in a small circle with what remained of the Justice's makeshift crew. Jack was on her left, Tan her right. Topper was there also, along with Armand Defane, Sam Ketcher, and few others. All around them circled more British troops. Finn cast around frantically, looking for help, for hope, but there was none. We made a good run of it, boys, said Jack. No one spoke. All around, soldiers raised muskets and leveled them at Finn and her companions, ordering their surrender. Jack was the first to drop his sword and lift his hands. Reluctantly, the others followed suit. A dull thump shook the deck as one of the two ships from the south knocked alongside. Jack swore and his eyes widened in disbelief. By the milk of a mermaid's blessed breast. Musket fire crackled through the morning air and three British soldiers fell dead at Jack's feet. Finn looked around in confusion, 
From the ship alongside, a wave of blue-coated soldiers leapt onto the deck with flashing swords. First among them was Ned Smithers, and behind him, Fred Martin. Their muskets spat fire and belched smoke, and British soldiers all around fell dead. Ho, Jack Wagon! cried Ned with a laugh. Then a flurry of red-haired O'Malley's, dressed in blue uniforms, crashed onto the deck, and with a loud cry, they set themselves to war. Finn looked up the mast of the ship alongside. Atop it flew a flag she had never seen. Stripes of white and red ran along its flanks, and a crown of white stars adorned its deep blue shoulder. Not a British flag at all. The report of cannons rollicked across the waves, and she looked around to see another ship, born from the south, the same flag raised above her, assaulting the other British vessel. The Continental Marines had joined the battle. <laughs>